Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. In this episode, Jason Evans talks about teaching at Prairie State College, teaching developmental writing, advice for first-time developmental writing teachers, translingual practice, and code meshing. Jason C. Evans is professor of developmental writing and English at Prairie State College in Chicago Heights, Illinois. His work has appeared in the edited collections Writing Placement in Two-Year Colleges and on Teacher Neutrality, as well as BWE, Open Words, and Teaching English in the Two-Year College. Jason's research examines the relationships between composition, racial identity, and social class and community college writing programs. Jason, thanks so much for joining us. You are a professor of developmental English and writing at Prairie State College. Talk to me more about Prairie State, the institutional context and students, and your position and responsibilities. Yeah, thanks. I, I've been teaching at Prairie State for a long time, since 2003, and I've seen a lot of big changes in our in our college. We're a predominantly black community college in Chicago's south suburbs. We have a large and growing uh, Latinx population at our school, and we have a you know a fairly significant number of white students. Not it's not zero, but it's um, they're they're in the minority. So it's an interesting mix of people to to get to work with and to have in the classroom. Our average age used to be 27. I think it's gotten a little little younger in the past couple of years, but it remains also very age diverse in a really exciting and rewarding way. Uh, but the biggest change that I've seen in my time there has been the drastic decrease in developmental writing sections. Uh, I was hired as a professor of developmental writing in English with the idea that I would teach at least half of my load as uh, basic writing classes or developmental writing classes. And now I can't, I can't make load that way anymore. So I'm just teaching, um, you know, transfer level classes. Um, we have a lot of theories about why that's the case, like why we have so many fewer sections. That, I mean, we're down to like two sections of developmental uh, writing in our department and my colleague teaches those and I kind of miss them, um, but I wish him well. Um, so we, when I started, we had, I don't know, probably 30 or more sections. Um, and then that has been decreasing sometimes slowly and sometimes quickly over the years. Uh, I think a lot of that had to do a couple years ago, we changed our placement tool and made it, I think, easier for incoming students to sound like college writers. And so we started placing more people into English 101 that way. I also think our high school teachers are really great. And uh, we've had a building partnership with them over the years that probably has helped students become more ready for college writing and ready to show that they're ready for college writing. Um, so I miss, I miss teaching developmental writing. It was a great it's a great space, I think, in a lot of ways. In other ways, it's kind of a weird space because, uh, you know, the the institutional politics of developmental writing and higher education. But for me, it was a space where students came in really open to learning, really willing to, like, work on their writing and open to, like, what what the class had to teach them. Um, that was what I what I particularly liked about it. And then they'd feel often surprised that they liked it so much and that they felt like they were competent with it. Um, so it was always fun for me to be there 
for that to witness that and to be alongside them when they were having that experience. Jason, can you talk more about how you approach teaching developmental writing? What are some pedagogies and practices you use in that class? And what are some key values and objectives you have in teaching developmental writing? Yeah, good question, Shane. The last several years that I taught it, we had developed an accelerated learning program version of developmental writing. And so I had a very small class size, like a cap of 10 in the class. And my goal as a teacher was to kind of make sense of that in the classroom, which was to create a community of writers and uh, make it so that it became a space where we could try things out. And eventually, like the most the most successful I would feel sometime in the semester, somebody would come to class and say, like, here's what I was trying to do in this paragraph. What do you, what do you all think? And then like one genuinely ask that question and be open to having it responded to. And the people in the class like knew what to do with that question also. And it's, you know, so exciting. And I think what a lot of us as writing teachers love and look forward to. Um, so I think that was made possible by the small class size and making me like really I mean, you can't, you definitely can't lecture. I don't like to lecture anyway, but you definitely can't lecture with eight to 10 students in the room. I don't, you know, it never made sense to me. Um, but what you can do is like develop a lot of trust and the kind of space where people are open to hearing about their writing and understand that there's not one right way to write it. And that they kind of feel the freedom of that and the, and the way that the space kind of encourages that tapping into students' willingness to be present and um, not anything necessarily that I would create, but rather like making possible the kinds of things that students would value in any case, like being seen and, and contributing to other people's learning as well as having other people contribute to yours. So like I would praise the, probably in a podcast, I can't say shit, but praise the shit out of people who who are willing to, especially early on in the semester, who are willing to let us look at your paper in a group because, you know, to recognize that that takes some courage and, you know, be, be super grateful to people for that uh, while also showing them like right off the bat that this, this is, can be a little awkward, but it's not painful. Uh, it, it's a, we'll, we'll do as much building up and saying what we like about your essay or your draft, whatever we're looking at uh, as we will about what, we thought you could do differently or what we imagined you could do differently. So I think kind of keeping, keeping the focus pretty positive, especially early on and um, recognizing people, rec recognizing the, the kind of courage that it takes to be open about one's writing, but also make eventually making that seem kind of like a normal thing too in this space uh, that it doesn't, hopefully it doesn't take a lot of like bravery per se uh, on a daily basis once we get going, uh, but rather it, it seems more like kind of a normal thing. Um, and then kind of some of the artificial things that I've, I, I remember doing was asking each person to say something, both for like, what did you like about this in particular? And you have to be specific and you can't say the same thing that the person before you said. Uh, and then what's something you'd want to hear more about? And again, everybody has to say something pretty specific. But in a group of eight people, you can you can, every person can actually talk and contribute. And the writer, we, 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 they begin to see too, the writer can take it or leave it. 
um, if somebody wants, if one person wants to hear more about something that the writer didn't really care that much about, you know, it's good. It's good to hear. But um, so I think it does also build a sense of having just a, that much diversity of opinion in the room also gives people a sense of ownership and that they can't possibly take all eight opinions into account. And so then you have ownership um, and nurtures that. You mentioned not having the opportunity to teach developmental writing now as much given programmatic changes and that you miss teaching these courses. What do you miss the most? And, and what do you feel that developmental writing class offers that other classes, even other first-year writing courses, don't necessarily capture in quite the same way? Yeah, that's a that's a nice question. I think one thing is the small class size. My class sizes aren't huge. Like the the English 101 and English 102 sections that I teach right now are capped at 22. And I have, you know, on any given day, 15 or 16 people usually. Um, so it's not enormous, but it is large enough that it is somewhat difficult to make sure that each person has adequate airtime uh, in a 75 minute class. So I missed that. Um, it, but I've tried, I think because I felt like I felt what was possible when each person does get adequate airtime. I've really tried in my composition classes to create opportunities for each person to contribute, especially in a small group, but as much as I can in a large group setting too, uh, to recognize each individual's contributions and also kind of celebrate their contributions. That part hasn't totally, like that's a value that I took from developmental writing classes and as a kind of super necessity there and taking it into composition one where it's not quite as, you know, students, students have a wider variety of experiences and um, experiences with writing classes and experience with education. And so some of them don't need, or some of them are quite confident about their academic abilities already. Whereas in a developmental writing class, you have a smaller range of confidence. Um, and because, especially because they've been constituted as developmental writers, you know, before they even get to the class, there's already kind of something to work with and against uh, as a teacher. How would you mentor someone who's about to teach developmental writing for the first time? What advice would you give them after 20 years of teaching developmental writing? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it might depend a bit on the institutional context, but in general, I'd say any anytime you set foot into a developmental writing classroom, you know, your students have already been given a message by the college. And that's that's something to kind of try to take in and hold in a deep way um, and remember it as you come into every class, that you are you are going to have to express conscious optimism abilities as thinkers and as writers at pretty much every moment in the class. And I think that's, I, I like, I like being oriented that way. I'm not sure I like the institutional context about having to think that way, but it is, I think it's a really good way to approach any class, but particularly uh, composition classes or writing classes uh, to have to think, I really do value I really am optimistic and not just make it vague, but as specific as I can be like, here's, here's a way in which you are doing it. Here's a way in which you're contributing um, to other people. Here's a way in which you are performing it yourself uh, and be um, specific. And like I said, conscious, uh, explicit about that, that kind of belief in 
the students' abilities. I, I didn't get any training in composition or rhetoric before I began teaching. I had one class in, in my master's program on teaching in the community college, but it was focused on kind of broadly for humanities grad students. And it was a helpful class about pedagogy and orienting people to these discussions, but not such a super helpful class um, <laughs> preparing one for day one. So I, I've, I've learned more both on the job and from going to conferences. That's That's been how I've, and then trying to catch up on the books that I should have read. It took me too long to discover the two-year college association and the teaching English in the two-year college as a resource for this. I wish I would have encountered those organizations sooner because I think it's, they tend to be pretty practice oriented and a good community to bounce ideas off of and, and share with. A book that I don't hear that many people talking about at like places like C's is The College Fear Factor by Rebecca Cox. It's a, a few years old, it might be, might be more than 10 years old now, uh, but she, it's an ethnography of community college English classrooms and exploring students' feelings of fear uh, and the way that that shapes their approach to the, uh, the classroom. I think the subtitle is something like how professors and students misunderstand each other. So that, that to me is a helpful thing for grad students to, to read and begin to understand. Because, um, you know, grad students are generally people who had a good time in school and who have been affirmed by the educational system and it's hard to appreciate. I mean, I think it's, it remains hard to appreciate what it feels like not to have that kind of uplift and wind at your back from the system. Jason, you have a chapter called Living in Contradiction, Translingual Writing Pedagogies and the Two-Year College. Can you talk more about this chapter and what you're encouraging teachers and researchers to consider with translingual practice? Thanks for asking about this chapter, Shane. It's, it's kind of fun. And it was fun because it also made me go back and look at it and think about what's changed for me in the past couple of years. So it's, it's in a collection on teacher neutrality uh, edited by Daniel Richard. And it's my, my chapter is focusing on how working class students respond to language ideologies and the way that language ideologies are represented. And so I was thinking about the way in which in my classes, trying to teach students about code meshing in English 101, trying to teach students about code meshing and the idea that multiple varieties of language are always present and always should be welcome and viewed as a resource. Uh, my students were suspicious of this, of this idea and would kind of entertain it in a, in a generous way towards me. And then at the end of thinking about it, say, okay, now teach me how to write correctly, uh, as if to as if to kind of reject and resist everything that we had just been writing about. So this chapter is a way of thinking about that encounter and that resistance, and wondering if the um, what the students are hearing with things like all language is arbitrary and ne negotiated and shifting, if what they're hearing is also the language that the economy is also telling them you are your position in the world is negotiated and arbitrary and tenuous and shifting and um so yeah this this chapter was exploring 
that as a as a thing for teachers especially to be sensitive to i think in part it's uh the world has shifted a little bit the first couple of semesters i taught after um after the george floyd uprising uh protests students were much more willing to try out and and enact in their own writing code matching for instance uh black students especially um like before i would always get this kind of polite well thanks code meshing sounds interesting I, i kind of understand why it's important but i i need to i need to learn how to speak the right way uh whereas after george floyd i have more students i still have, i still get that probably from most students but uh, i have many more uh people that are willing to say okay i get it and i i want to see what this is like in my own writing in this class. And for me like I I've always invited students through through those discussions to try it out in this class and I didn't used to get very many takers. Now I'm getting more takers. But I think it is because of um I think a you know a positive shift in the way that people are unwilling to live with certain I don't know if compromises is the right word but certain certain ways of doing business that were acceptable in the past i think are becoming less acceptable to more students and i think that's a good thing thanks jason and thank you pedagog listeners and followers until next time